Hello and welcome, heroes, to Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. And I'm Ian. And I'm Ajayd. Alright. From Game Master hey. Stash, right? Uh, from Game Master Stash, from Ajayd.net, lots of places. <laughs> lots of places. Make, make sure you swing on and check those places, places out, for sure. This podcast was created to provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and DMs. And we hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Our show may not be suitable for young children, but neither is our D&D games. Are you sitting at home right now in Australia with nothing planned for today? Do you want to get Why, your yes. Fri- yes, I am. Do you want to get your friends together for a D&D session but don't have anything prepared? No, I always have something prepared, but sure. <laughs> oh, damn it. Let's pretend I do. Okay, well, for the sake of argument, we're going to pretend you do because you know what? Goblinstone has got you covered. Thanks to Goblinstone, each week we give out a wonderful prize, the five-star rated adventure, Banquet of the Damned. Goblinstone is a community project for D&D fans based out of the UK. They aim to be a place where you can team up with pros to turn your ideas into excellent products and give every fan a chance to be published. Be sure to head over to www.goblinstone.com or you can check out our fellowship link on our website, www.critacademy.com. Alright. This week's winner is... Lauren Do 91 comes crashing down and it hurts inside. This is what I do in my car when I'm listening to this, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. My wife made fun of me. She's like, why do you have that in there? That doesn't even celebrate even... nothing. I'm like, because everyone's headbanging to it. Why not? I don't even know what it's from. I don't even know where it comes from. Oh, so. man. It is Hulk Hogan's opening music. Oh, cool. <laughs> Congratulations to Lauren Diao. What? Lauren Dew. Lauren Dew. It's like Mountain Dew, but with Lauren instead of Mountain. Congratulations, Mountain Dew. Congratulations, <laughs> Lauren Dew. 91. You're this week's winner. Thank you for joining us today here at Crate Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. And your roles matter as much as the shoes and the halfling. Uh, we got a lot of good stuff uh, this week or on this show for you. Uh, we got a really great question, and honestly, it's a pretty hard one. I had to read some rules and stuff to see if I even yeah, I read some answer Because <laughs> I wasn't sure. <laughs> and then our main topic is mass combat, which RJ and I have already agreed the UA one's not fantastic. Yeah, but sorry, like, wizards. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why it's a playtest material. Yeah, that, yeah, it's exactly right. And But I do think that this it could lead to uh, other unique ideas, and there's some things you could take from it to help with that. Um, and then, of course, we have our favorite segment. Unearth Tips and Tricks, everybody's favorite segment, including mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Before all that, we like to hear about what's going on in each of our realms. Ajade, what's going on in your realm today? Wow, lots. <laughs> I've got. Uh, I'm a teacher in real life, that so uh, I got. Uh, I got all these presentation things to make. But on top of that, I'm uh, trying to build up my own. Uh, I'm trying to get my own adventures and stuff published. So I'm using the school holidays, which is now, to uh, crack out all those adventures and things like that, and update my website and all sorts of cool stuff. So that's been my day, the last couple of weeks. That yeah. sounds. Dreadful. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. But you like what you do, I kind of want right? to check out Goblinstone and see if they'll publish my stuff for me, because that sounds like a pretty good deal. He's <laughs> like, no, publish it for the fans. <laughs> all right, then. I'm going through all this stuff, jumping through legal uh, hoops. <laughs> yeah, whatever, man. Just give it to them. Let them do the work. Um, very yeah. cool, man. That I remember when I found out you were a, a teacher, and I'm wishing, why didn't I have any cool teachers in school ever? Like, I think once I had a cool <laughs> teacher. 
and then he turned out to be a molester. So not so cool. Oh wow! <laughs> no, that's why he's so funny. He's cool. Wait, wait, wait! Yeah. He didn't. He didn't find. I didn't find out personally. <laughs> <laughs> hey kid, what, one good box. Get in the van. <laughs> oh my god! I watched the show called uh, Impractical Jokers. <laughs> oh, we love that. Yeah, oh, it, I love that. And then I watched their their I I was part of I watched their tour. And one of the things that they, they did is they talked about things that they threw uh ideas they wanted to do but weren't allowed to cuz the the station wouldn't let them do it. And the one was called Get in the Van. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> I wish they would have been able to do something with that cuz it'd been hilarious for all the wrong reasons. Ian, what's happening in your realm today? Well, unfortunately, I kind of uh, do the same thing every week, but uh, to shake things up, <laughs> yesterday was the 4th of July, obviously, so my usual D&D game wasn't running, so I actually instead ran a one-shot for the uh, superhero RPG icons. And I haven't played that. Get, actually, got the book right here. But oh, very cool. I uh, won't read it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> While we do the podcast, we'll read it. <laughs> read it out to us. <laughs> but it was a very patriotic thing where they had to uh, go back in time and keep the... Uh, Declaration of Independence to actually be signed because the alien went back to the past to keep it from happening. Oh wow! So why? Because America kept on screwing stuff up from him. Oh, I can't imagine where he came <laughs> up with that idea. Hmm. <laughs> Does Nicolas Cage star predominantly in your campaign? <laughs> uh, no, not at all. You haven't you haven't seen uh, uh, National Treasure? I love the first one, hated the second one. <laughs> second one was okay, just not as good as the first one. Uh, I liked it. Anyway, Justin, what's going on in your realms? You know what, Ian? I am so glad you guys asked. Because I've got <laughs> some really special thing to share with you guys today. Do you know? Ooh. I do. Fancy. Um, and I think I might have shared it on the last episode, but I haven't edited it yet, so I don't remember. So I'm going to share again. <laughs> um, we, <laughs> ha- we have a new sponsor, um, Jeff Stevens. Um, He's a, a publisher on the DMs Guild, and he has a lot of great content. And right now, I'm sifting through the content that he's offered us to figure out what I want to give away to people who follow us on social media. So I'm really excited for that. Fantastic. I, I know, right? Um, so that's just one more piece of freebie stuff that we give away. Now, as soon as I can start making money, <laughs> I'll be really <laughs> happy. <laughs> Well, um, yeah, how many listens do you have? If you each send one dollar <laughs> to each of us. We'll be doing well, not you. Why would we send anything yeah. to you? <laughs> You're on the earth of the earth after all. Well, actually it's really it's funny you ask about people because, you know, uh the episode hasn't released yet, but we just hit we last month we had over fifteen thousand downloads. Whoa. Yeah, which is up from like five thousand the m- month before. Well that escalated quickly. Yeah. And it has been. I mean it's been growing, but we've been talking about that in the most recent one of the most recent episodes and uh we're we're still kicking ass. I seen the slowdown around the holiday though. Do you you know what Independence Day is? You're in Australia, you might I don't Yeah, yeah, that's the day that um Will Smith saved us from the aliens, right? Yeah, we, that, we yeah, that. That, well it was the first Brexit actually, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so yeah. Very, very cool. Um, the reason is. Happy <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Independence Day, you filthy traitors. <laughs> Speaking of the original Brexit, if you're interested in learning about America's separation from Great Britain, head on over to audibletrial.com slash critacademy. We can get one free audiobook and a 30-day free trial. Because who does not love free stuff? I do. Yeah, me too. So can I make a recommendation? I'll oh, tell you what, this is the you book you ab- want to get. Absolutely it's called Gert. G I R T, right? Gert. And that has so much inspiration, right? It's about the history of Australia. But I've used it for my D&D games. There's this thing called the Emu War, 
in Australia, right? That's when where you uh, all soldiers the... from World War One went into like you know fight emus and lost the battle, right? How great would that be as a campaign? Just right there, right? <laughs> so go check it out, right? It's about colonizing Australia. G-I-R-T, the unauthorized history of Australia. Gert, go check it. It's hilarious. It's so funny. Uh, it highly recommend it. That's fantastic. what I got with my free audiobook trial. Go grab that because, man, and inspire your D&D games out the wazoo. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. I cannot even think straight with you. That's awesome. So finally moving on to our second segment, our Let's Talk, talk About, about Blank. blank. Let's talk about blank, baby. Let's talk about druids and vampire succubus. Oh, God. <laughs> so, Jordan M. from Facebook asks, Imagine this. A druid is in wild shape form with full HP. He gets charmed by a succubus, who then proceeds to use draining kiss. The resulting damage meets his maximum HP. Does the druid, A, instantly die per draining kiss rules, or B, revert back to his druid form. Find out next time on Dragon Ball Z. Referee the Anthel during process. Oh, man. This is actually was a tough question for me. I actually had to do some soul searching, spent some time up in the mountains, came down, still didn't have a fucking answer, but it was cold. Um, so then I went to hang out in the Bahamas for a little bit, but uh, before we get into it, some I, I we looked at it in advance. What do you think, Ian? Huh. I don't believe think I believe in the uh, death by snoo snoo <laughs> <laughs> route in this one. <laughs> My knee jerk reaction, at least, is to revert back into druid form. But to be fair, I've not actually read the uh, draining kiss rules, so don't quote me too hardcore on that one. <laughs> You know why it's hard? Is it's hard because fifth ed is really weird, right? Like, no, it's I, I not. primarily it's am a third ed, <laughs> and like in third ed, if a succubus drains you, then you know, game over. You go back to your druid form and then be dead. So you're both. Is <laughs> you know, you're no longer a bear. But um, you know, so the thing that interested me was some creatures when they do their like level drain thing. If your HP reaches zero, then you turn into some kind of like other monster. Like that's kind of the idea behind it. Uh -huh. Um, and so I think that's part of the zero is when you get to zero, you die as a person, but maybe you turn into some kind of monster. I don't know. Anything. <laughs> no. Um, well, after a bunch of soul-searching, um, I definitely just rested on the fact that you do revert to druid form with your full HP or minus whatever rolls over in the, in the, from the damage, but... Sorry, how does druid form work in, uh, 5th ed, then? Like, is it, is it different from the other editions where... Um, I don't really... I, I'll be honest, I didn't like Pathfinder or 3.5, so I didn't play it a whole lot. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> in the, in the, the DMG, the druid, uh wild shape ability specifically states that as soon as your health goes down to zero you immediately revert back to your druid form and with the hp that you had when you shapeshifted in addition to that any additional damage from the attack that actually rolls over into your normal form so the question would be then which triggers first do you revert to your form then does the kiss of death effect take place or does the kiss of death effect take place as soon as your druid hits zero, but before you shapeshift. Right. More important question, what kind of weird-ass furry succubus is kissing like a bear? <laughs> it's D&D, we don't ask questions. Yeah, you don't ask questions. You just you just turn your head and walk away, is usually what happens. <laughs> or you, fairy, roll, or you roll a dice to participate, I suppose. 
Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but, Roll um, initiative. <laughs> here's the actual verbiage. When you transform, you assume the beast's hit points and hit dice. When you revert to your normal form, you return to the nor- number of hit points you had before you transformed. However, if you revert as a result of dropping to zero hit points, any excess damage carries over to your normal form. For example, if you take 10 damage in your animal form and have only one hit point left, you revert and take nine points of damage. As, uh, as long as the excess damage doesn't reduce your normal form to zero hit points, you aren't knocked unconscious. And I think that last, that last line there is kind of the key that I would go off of. Because it means you're technically not at zero, which means you're not unconscious. Right? Which I think is the whole key of the the succubus's ability. Right? Mm. right? Yeah, well, the succubus says that when their hit points reach zero, then they die. Because it's like a special condition. So, that's, um, I don't know, that's it's a conundrum. It's Good true. job, Jordan M. Yeah. yeah you broke D&D. Nothing, Dick. <laughs> There's always one. Well, and the other thing it says, uh, how does it word when you hit zero? All right. Let's see what we got here. The, the target's hit points maximum is reduced by the by an equal amount to the damage taken. And this reduction lasts long until the target faces a long rest. And the target dies if this effect reduces his hit point max to zero. Well, and it says the target's hit points reduce to zero. Right. The target's hit points isn't zero. Right? It's it, beast form goes to zero, but then immediately it's not zero anymore. Right. So, I guess, how do you determine priority would be the big question. I personally would say that you would roll over and not, but um, but I don't know that that's the right answer. Yeah. Uh, if I was jamming this, I would probably um, have them revert back to druid form with some hit points. But I'd, I'd put in some kind of a, you know, because it is... The, the succubus kiss is like that's their you know ko that's their right, fatality right. so I'd, I'd put in some kind of effect i kind of agree i understand that the succubus thing is supposed to be the uh the end of it so i would i i would still let him revert but i would have to come up with some other way of punishing him i would think because let's face it having a essentially a second pool of hp is kind of like the druid's thing too that's mm-hmm. their thing and do you want to punish them for that because some things they transform into have significantly less hp yeah Maybe they keep their body, but they don't keep their soul. Because that's what the succubus really wants, right? The soul's a currency for them, because they're demons. So, you know. That's pretty good. Your body becomes like a a dead shell of itself. (laughs) So, technically, you're still alive, but there's nobody at home. I gotcha. Actually, being soulless is not unprecedented in D&D, because you go back to Crystal Strahd, quite a few of the villagers there have no soul. They still function as regular people. They just have no emotion. Oh. They don't care. Well, maybe. Well, there you have it, uh, Jordan. Uh, we can't agree. <laughs> um, Play a better class, like Ranger or something. <laughs> uh, all right. So you kind of heard our uh, responses. Don't know if you got the answer you wanted. Honestly, don't care. And if you don't like our answer, send, a co- send an email to the complaint department, all right? If you don't like your answer, please donate $20 and we'll hear your complaint. <laughs> It's in a queue waiting for us. Just you got to pay the toll, right? Um, and if we get don't get no tolls, we don't get no rolls. All right. So our main topic today is mass combat. Mass combat rules are basically designed to allow the um, the DM to really determine the outcomes of like massive battles. Uh, we're talking like kingdom on kingdom action. Love the rings level <laughs> combat, man. So the very first thing they got in this. Now let's remind you, this is from the Unearthed Arcana. 
Um, I'm going to tell you up front that I already know that I don't 100% agree with this because I believe the whole platform of 5th edition is to be simplified. And I just think this adds a level of complexity that it doesn't need. And I do want to point out, too, because since it's been released on Earth Arcana, nothing for it is uh, definite yet. So. Right, right. This is just guidance. And I've already sent, uh, uh, did the little survey with my opinions on this when I read it back when it came out. Rules are subject to change. <laughs> Hopefully they are. <laughs> uh, I know, RJ, you kind of had some reservations about it as well. I have a really very clear cut, very uh, obvious reason why this is a terrible rule set. Uh, but I'll save that until after the listeners can hear actually how it works, and then I'll tell you my, you know, the, the one thing that'll just blow it out of the water. Okay, so basically this system works by giving a battle rating that determines its effectiveness in combat. Now, this is overall effectiveness, so it doesn't really... The CR rating that's converted to the battle rating is supposed to kind of take... Um, take into account any spells or resistances or any of that sort of stuff when uh, running the group. Theoretically, at least. But basically, it's just designed... Sorry, am, am I wrong in understanding? My understanding was that the battle rating is for the unit, not for, yes, for the, the individual. So, for instance, a CR rating 2 monster is a plus 1 to the battle rating. Right? And uh, CR uh, one eight is a plus 1 plus one battle rating per 20 creatures. So for every 20, one-eighth creatures, CR rating creatures you have, that's one point to your battle rating. So if enough cobalt to a dragon, it'll eventually kill it. Yeah, right. And you and actually, it's designed so you can kind of mix and match those things. Bigger, bigger creatures also take up more space in the quote-unquote battlefield as well. You also create a morale rating. Now, actually, I like this part of it. This actually made sense to me. You create a morale rating that's used to measure the combat motivation of all the, the creatures, right? Because let's be honest, if you're in a contingent of 20 people and an ogre lobs a rock and kills seven of you, your morale's going to go down pretty quick. So I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so to me, that, that actually is something that I honestly, when I've run mass battles before, hadn't considered. And I don't know why it seems like such a simple idea. Yeah, historically speaking, morale has had a huge impact on what happens in um, various battles over, over the years. Right. Well, we all know, we've all seen those movies where the uh, army's getting fucking obliterated and the big hero Thor or something comes and all of them are like, Roar! cheering instead of, you know, are now ready to rush out to their death again. I'm not going to lie. I've seen like two towers, like Gandalf turns up and they're yeah. like, hey. Yeah. He's, he's got a stick. Because let's be honest, they're not all people that are in a war will stay to the end. If they see it's going south, they'll run and desert, right? That's what a deserter is. Each unit also has a commander. Now, the commanders play a pretty key role um, because they actually get to add their charisma modifiers to any of the, the initiative or the morale roles that go into the game. Though, I don't know that I would tie it just to charisma. I think you could tie it to other things. Like, let's say um, RJ is playing a big, tough barbarian, and we put his character as the key so commander in charge of 100 people. He's probably, let's say, assume he doesn't have no charisma, but he might have high strength. So he might say, I leap in and I cleave five guys in half. I want my strength roll to apply to, apply to the, uh, the morale <laughs> roll, you know? Not in this edition. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, so I... I like the idea. I don't necessarily think it should just be charisma. I think if you could leverage a uh, reason why you could use another modifier, that should work. Same thing, uh, reason I feel yeah, about absolutely. Uh, intimidation. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're like a more favorite commander than the enemy, that's saying something right there. <laughs> right, right. 
I do not judge a man by his race, creed, or politics because you're all, all equally worthless in my eyes. <laughs> 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 what kind of a morale boost would that guy give? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that'd be like some sort of negative modifier. Each unit can only have one commander. Now, it, in this, it's understood that the commander might be an NPC. We do touch on the fact that you could make your characters commanders, which honestly is what I would do. I would, if I had you guys in a group, I would give you your own contingents because mm. that would make more sense to me because it would put you directly involved in the, the, the combat if that's the type of massive combat you want to run. So, what is a battle rating? We, we kind of discussed what it is. How do you get it? Basically, it's a number based. We kind of touched on it. It's based on a creature's CR rating, right? There is a table provided in the, in the, the unearthed uh, arcana. Creating units. Each unit basically consists about 400 medium or smaller creatures. That's a lot. It's not that a small a number. Lot. Yeah. So, obviously, now you can kind of get an idea of how, the size that this combat is supposed to really represent. Larger size cre- creatures take up more space in the uh, in the unit. Makes sense to me. Uh, so, for example, you can include 50 large creatures that take up four spaces and 200 medium ones, right? The total space taken up is still 400. It's 200 for the large and 200 for the medium ones. So, that's how they're trying to really balance adding, you know, dragons and type shit into your unit. Although, does that equal 800 eight halflings? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't <Our> <laughs> I, I don't know man. i just i i always had a problem with big creatures and big battles because how they wouldn't there's no way they would be able to distinguish friend from foe just like breath <laughs> uh, uh sir only about half of those guys were the bad guy i'll bet i'll try but they're expendable than. right that's i guess that's, I guess that's need, true right need, everyone cares about everyone in the battle <laughs> you Packing, hold off. but you do if it affects morale <laughs> yeah that's true uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the morale rating. Um, so we kind of talked about we talked about it a little more than I wanted to earlier, but that's okay. But basically, this acts as an a, a ability modifier on a scale of negative 10 to plus 10. Um, there's a table in the Unearthed Arcana you can look at. You basically roll a d20 and you add the morale modifier. Now, each of the morale ratings include, you know, a 0 is a typical unit, while, you know, uh, ten is, a plus 10 is unbreakable, you know, they're going to fight to the death type of deal, and then a minus 10 would be openly rebellious, they're probably going to loot and then leave type shit. So, mm-hmm. from uh, Spartans to uh, Russians. <laughs> 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 or um, Sir Robin, more accurately. So, um... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> brave, brave, brave Sir, Sir Robin. Robin. <laughs> There's a lot of factors that come into morale. Now, I would just say this is strictly up to the DM uh, with the low or no pay if they're being conscripted and being forced and not, you know, not being paid could suck. Um, If they have no stake Mm. in the outcome, if you are like the Englishmen in Braveheart and are forcing the Irish to fight for you, they're going to fucking abandon you halfway through the battle. You will respect my authority. <laughs> um, if you've got incompetent commanders, you know, uh, a daunting or overwhelming foe, you know, if you're 400 goblins and a, a dragon comes in and fire breaths half of you guys away, probably going to not have a lot of faith in uh, that combat. So the, one of the things about these factors, like I think you, you have to take them as a situational thing. So if it's uh town of people who are fighting to defend their town so they have a really high stake in the outcome but they're probably not getting paid for that so like the no pay wouldn't apply because they're fighting for something they own already right and i I agree 100 that's kind of what i was saying it's really going to be up to the dm to kind of make that decision on what's going to apply and what's not those are just kind of guidelines in general um but you're exactly right you know a stake in 
uh, a situation or an outcome, it, how it affects you is going to determine how dedicated you are to it. Um, and if you're not being paid and you're broke as shit and you've got shitty equipment, that may not come into play if it's your home. And you don't care if you got yeah. a sword or if you got a swing, a two-by-four. That's your home and you're going to do whatever you can to defend it. Or, like me, would say, fuck it, I'll get a new one and I'm leaving, you know. <laughs> That's it, you know. Do you stay and fight the emus or do you, uh, do you <laughs> start, a new, start a new town somewhere else? <laughs> um, you knew it. It's my farm, but... That's a big trill. It can burn. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so the next thing they kind of uh, go through is, you know, running the battles. In this one, they stretch out time. Uh, one round is one minute. Um, kind of rep- represents the, you know, the movement of hundreds of units or thousands of units or however many you got. So that actually kind of makes sense to me. It should represent a larger scale of what's going on instead of the six seconds that our normal combat kind of addresses. D&D, where one-minute combat takes an hour, and one hour of travel takes one minute. <laughs> <laughs> you were up in town. <laughs> <laughs> Initiative for each is pretty much fixed. It's basically 10 plus the unit's uh, morale, so that's going to directly affect when they go in combat, and then also the charisma modifier that's from their commander. Man, you're, if your commander dies early, you're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, units can really only do one movement and one action per turn. Obviously, pretty simple, makes sense. It kind of talks about speed here, but I think it's stupid, so I don't know that I want to go into it. But <laughs> <laughs> um, the speed equals 10 times its lowest member's speed because apparently they're, they're not going to just leave them behind, though, honestly, I would. I just fuck it. Yeah. You can't hold your weight. <laughs> Somebody's going to eat you. Don't put the gnome on the centaur or anything. Like, that wouldn't... <laughs> that's not going to happen. Just... Know, we'll right? all walk at the gnome's pace. <laughs> well, it's because the centaur's eyes are gnomes beneath him. <laughs> in more ways than one. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, when you do move, um, you have to stop uh, if you move adjacent to an enemy. Unless you're taking the disengage action. Actions, you can attack. You gain advantage for higher ground. Um, additional enemies when you're flanking, which once again makes sense, right? Um, you gain disadvantage when the defenders have partial cover, if they're hiding behind a wall, if you know anything like that. If the defender is flanked by two friendly units, they also gain. You also have disadvantage when attacking. So, so there is some strategy to kind of positioning your minis in your each individual unit. It really so sorry. It really should be more than that though. Like it just you oh, so? you get advantage, you get disadvantage, like. Positioning is how battles are won and lost. You know, I, I joke about this emu war thing, but like that's that's the reason why they lost that battle is because the emus had spread out, right? Mm-hmm. Like if if that positioning in a dumb animal can you know res- resp- result in like trained soldiers losing a fight, uh, then you know it's a bit more than advantage. And the same is true for like uh, you know historical battles, especially back in you know medieval times and stuff. Like positioning really should be more than just advantage, but that's. That's just my rant. No, 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 but that's what I want to hear. And I 100%, that's why William Wallace was able to conquer all the English, right? Because they're stupid. Yeah. They use the same tactics (laughs) all the time. It makes it easy to trick them. You know, I mean, like, look at Vietnam War. Like, it was all about positioning. Like, guerrilla warfare. It wasn't about throwing hordes of monsters at each other. It was, you know. Well. That's another, another time. <laughs> but also the the combatants, like you know, like one one combatant could take out you know multiple troops just by being positioned in the right spot. You know, oh, and sure. So positioning and, and terrain so and things. Big that's deal. why snipers are so effective. Um, when there's so many casualties, maybe half the if half your unit is destroyed, it requires like a, a morale check of fifteen. Um, 
if they fail, basically, I guess they desert. It says they're removed from battle. I mean, I assume that means they're they're deserting or running away or just giving up. Run away! Yeah, they hide. <laughs> yeah, they go hide under a dragon's dead corpse or something. Oh, I'll, I'll stay under here. It's it's arrow-proof. <laughs> Apparently not enough, though. If a friendly unit is defeated within, like, 500 feet or five squares... Um, the unit uh, must also make a morale check of a DC-10. So basically, as they're watching their 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 other part of the army, their other units get demolished, it also affects them as well. So I actually, I, despite all the, the smack talk I talk about this, I do actually really like the, mor the, moral, uh, the moral aspect of it. That's something that I have never considered, um, and I think that that's something I would probably will try to continue to use in any ones that I run. Characters in mass combat. Um... We're not actually going to touch on that. We're, I'm just going to give a few bullet points here. I think that if your characters are going to be in the game, you've got to do one of two things. You either have to run them as the unit commanders and give them more control over what their units do and even have their spells affect what's going on. For instance, you mentioned a mage. If you're my wizard and you're the commander of this unit and you've got Wall of Ice, you know, it takes, it's got a 100-foot line. That directly is big enough to directly affect the outcome of combat or or earthquake or whatever <laughs> yeah so um i do think that if you do run this uh like i said you either make them part of the commanders and they directly control each of their units or you do instead of doing like a ten thousand foot view you zoom into okay all these wars are going on they can see it and you run a separate encounter of them trying to do stuff behind the scenes for instance um maybe they're uh they are trying to take out some uh people who are relaying information between units or who are coordinating all that stuff and sneak in and try to take out those key uh key players in the game that could turn the tide of battle in their favor you know whether, yeah the critical events and stuff like that they get involved in that maybe yeah you know uh and and in that case you know play them out as like a one shot where okay this war is going on around you you guys have been assigned to take out this unit commander this unit commander is directly in charge of this unit that is on the high ground if you take him out that'll allow this unit to overtake the high ground giving them what we talked about earlier like advantage or something a tactical advantage and allow them to maybe flank another enemy or something like that um that's how i would run it when they're in a massive combat like that their attacks aren't towards one person you know how when you swing a sword it's towards one enemy i roll a die and determine how many people they just chop through if they hit a dc okay so look this this is my main problem with this right so we, we could talk about how this is trying to to mirror you know f things like 40k and mass combat and stuff like that we could talk about how you know it's it's sort of very complex for something which could be extraordinarily simple but um i think for me the the very core of role playing is that story right that's why i role plays for the characters for the story what's happening um and if you look at um there are a lot of really good books that do fantasy mass combat you know stuff written by ari salvatore especially during that legacy sort of set um you know lord of the rings you know helms deep things like that um and if you take a look at how that's sort of done is it's the battle is happening around them but yes. it's still focusing on that story of those individuals. And that's what this completely fails to do. Even if you're doing those critical events, the characters aren't important to this battle in that case. And um, so for me, that's the thing that makes this a problem is if I'm a, if I'm a player, I don't want to sit at a massive table, um, you know, with people moving, you know, like all around the world map or whatever, and, and just sit there doing nothing. Like it's, this is a game for, this is rules for a GM. 
you know, like I can't see a situation where I would use this with players, right? And that's the problem for it for me is because all you're doing there, like the only, like, as you said, you know, you could put them as the unit commanders. Um, in my experience, you know, that results in, I, I guess, just you're narrating them and then n narrating the hundreds of NPCs behind them, just, you know, doing whatever they're doing, you know. Um, but it, it just, it, it fails to really make them strong parts of the story. And that's my big problem with it, I think. Yeah, uh, I agree 100%. I de definitely agree that, don't get me wrong, I definitely can see, like, the appeal of doing, like, a mass gaming like moving mass across, across the table. I mean, there is a subset of gaming for that. Right, right. But I agree in the sense of players do like to be in the in the trenches themselves, being yes. in the thick of it. Like that's why like people love like Helm's Deep in the the Two Towers. That's why they love like the Battle of Minas Tirith and the Return of the King. That's why they love the Battle of the Wall in Game of Thrones. Right. Or, or the Battle of the Bastards. Yeah. <laughs> love that so one. Yeah. um, and I actually agree 100 percent with both of you. Um, what I actually ended up doing in my games is I took on a very cinematic. I'm very. I love anime. I watch a lot of. Anime. I don't know if you can see some of it. Well, I don't see any over here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I love anime. So when I ran, uh, and I've only run a few of these, but when I did, it was 4E, um, which is what I uh, played prior to this one, and made the immediate switch when this one came out. But I like the idea of my characters being and feeling heroic. And right. while in 5th edition, a kobold can stab my wizard and kill him, <laughs> makes it a little harder to feel that way. But at higher levels, when I put them in a scenario where they're engaged in an all-out war, their goal isn't to try to win the war. Their goal is to do something else. In this, in this format, it's a critical event. Usually, they're storming a castle, and their goal is to get inside, no matter how they got to do it. So when they go to make an attack roll, I'll set a DC, and that, depending on how high that is, that number is determines how many enemies they take out. So it doesn't matter if they roll low or they roll high. If they roll low, hey, you know, your greatsword cleaves through four goblins in, in one orc as you kind of blast right by them. Which my barbarian could do in 4th edition, but not so much in 5th. Right. And, you know, if the <laughs> wizard casts fireball, you know, I describe it hitting, you know, 5, 6, 10, however many people, depending on how uh, big or low the save was. So in that, they're feeling epic. They're feeling like they're really getting involved in taking out waves and waves of enemies. All the while, they're clearing their way to get up to um, this little nook of waterway that, you know, they found a secret into that they paid for information or whatever. But, um, and that's how I've always done mass combat. But I always had miniatures representing the, the armies on the battlefield. So instead of, cause, because I prefer much more of the theater of the mind play, um, mm. I had a, a, a grid over here for the, the army, and then I had a grid for, in 4th edition, had to have a grid, but yeah. I tried not to when I didn't have to. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, and if I needed it, it was there. So what would happen is I would make rolls, uh, con basically contested rolls between the two armies, and I would determine why one army would have an, uh, a higher DC than another, and I would start just moving minis like pushing minis back towards the edge as if they're being pushed off mm -hmm. or um, maybe completely just remove them off the field uh, altogether if they just got flanked or over swamped. So they could see how the battle was going, but it wasn't always they're relying on the minis. What it was is they had a, um, I actually think we used it as a magic item of the podcast. It was a, a pair of earrings and they could all talk to each other, right? Mm. And one of the guys had a familiar who was flying up and he was relaying information to him about how the battle was going. And that's how I represented the minis. So I narrated that all to him uh, through his familiar. Now, that's that's cool. That's how I ran my my battle. And I didn't need 
any of these rules <laughs> to, to, to yeah do that. so you it's, by the sound of it you pretty much did exactly what these rules are doing right <laughs> so you've got one set of rules for the gm doing the battle and then one set of rules for the characters but you don't you don't need all this garbage man like it's <laughs> there's exactly 400 units and you have to do the, like you don't need that it's like okay there's a whole bunch of dudes and it, it at the end of the day it doesn't matter to the players how many kobolds you know whether it's twelve thousand or two hundred like it's a butt ton of kobolds and that's all they need to know right. because once it's above a certain number they, they don't care about that they know they're not <laughs> hand-to-hand fighting all of them right so um you know and it, it's interesting that you used it that way i can see how that could be uh you know very cool but for me um you know, a, a part of the narrative is a, a narrative technique of, of jamming is that um you know they, the players in a battle like that they don't know what's outside their immediate sphere of perception you know, right. and so they things can look really bad or really good from their perception, right, right. and then they get you know up to the end of the battle, stand up on a hill, look back over everything, and actually it's the opposite of what they thought. You know, right, right. I agree. And um, yeah, and that that can also be a really big part of the story. That may be one thousand of you, but we have five main characters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. We have we have main characters. <laughs> um, and and that's kind of what I was getting at at this. You know, I understand what this is trying to grasp. Don't get me wrong. I can see why somebody might need this because not everyone necessarily has the experience to de- make those decisions and to do that stuff. And if they decided they wanted to run a massive combat, there's nothing in the current books to really explain that. So I do understand why they made this. I do think it's more information than is necessary, um, but I definitely see why they would want to create something like this, even if I don't necessarily yeah. agree with it. I am stealing the morale there, there, thing because I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there are two sort of things that I, I wonder about this. So first off, I wonder why, why did they make it so complex? Like, is what are they trying to target into it, right? So I want the second thing that I'm wondering is what. Are they testing these rules out? Maybe they're planning on coming out with some kind of a miniature game. And they're, here, let's play test some rules so Maybe. that we can expand this into some kind of a, you know, uh, bigger or, you know, That's a thought. sort Don't, of yeah, competitive for a while. Going after the Maybe. 40K market, because I'm sure that there's a lot of people that fl- play 40K that don't play D&D. And vice versa. Yeah. And vice versa. So, or a lot of people you, who you might play, like, they play 40K, but they want a fantasy one, but they don't really like the 40K fantasy rules or whatever. Like, that's me. Like, that's just playing Warhammer. I've played 40K, but I haven't played mm-hmm. fantasy. I mean, it's Warhammer and it's Warhammer 40K. One's sci fi, one's fantasy. Hmm. Yeah. But, anyways, um, so, I mean, what other beefs do you have with it, RJ? <laughs> okay, so I actually have a lot of experience with uh, running mass combat. So, um, when I first got into Dungeons Dragons, I was in high school, and we started like a little lunch club where at lunch we'd hang out in the library, and uh, you know we'd, we'd we'd do that. And eventually, that got to a group that was uh, a group size of thirty-two players and myself, which is huge, right? <laughs> and then uh, as I've sort of gotten older, I worked in gaming shops and stuff, and often we'd get like you know fifteen to twenty players at, at the shop on a Sunday for for the games which I was running. So I've got quite a lot of experience, and when you have that many players. Um, you know, if you've got that many people, it, it can become hard to, I guess, keep keep track of things. But I, that's when I started doing these sorts of mass combats because each person could then have something very useful that they could do. Um, so what I did was actually the opposite of this, rather than uh, as you might have told, been able to tell from my rant earlier. <laughs> um, rant, you know. You know. I, 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 nah. No, no. I focused on the players, right? And so right. rather than splitting them off into like commanders of the units and stuff like that, I basically made them one unit and they would move through the battlefield and do one important thing, very similar to the critical events and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But that important thing would end up 
happening whilst the rest of the combat happened. So they would get to the end of whatever they were trying to do, and then other things will have happened on you know in the background you mm-hmm. know because they're not the only people there in the battle and um you know when you've got that many players the only way to keep them all engaged is to you know do something like this kind of a, a mass combat situation and that becomes really heroic because you're going around the table and they're telling you what they're doing we actually split them up when we had 32 we split them up into groups of six um and sort of each one worked as like a subunit and they were working on a thing and we had like the players who were sort of our original players became like mini GMs, if you can imagine that. Like they'd, they'd do a battle and then they'd sort of relay back what was what was going on for everyone as, as they went around. And um, uh, it, was, you know, it, it was definitely a really cool experience. And these mass combats are some of the stories that have sort of stayed with them for a long time. But they didn't stay with them because they killed a thousand zombies. You know, they <laughs> stayed with them because of the epic, I guess, moments of, of battle. I sort of give the players a bit more creative license, a bit more um, cinematic sort of storytelling mm-hmm. r- abilities rather than, you know, oh, I roll a d20 and I kill a dude. Like, it's, you know, if you hit, then maybe, you know, each hit that you do is killing a person. You get automatic cleave sort of in this right, situation, right. you know. That's sort of an idea. And, and building up that storytelling aspect of it. And usually, if you build the encounter correctly... Uh, you know, the the players aren't trying to wipe out everyone in the army because that's not how you win a war. You know, they're trying to capture an objective or they're trying to take out a commander or they're trying to, um, you know, break through a line, which then the NPCs can then flood through or or whatever. Right, right. And and by achieving that goal, you know, they're they're not staying in one place fighting a million people, which that can be fun too. Um, We did an awesome game with zombies where they ended up filling a room (laughs) with that, right? But yeah, so anyway, that's the the way I would approach it is give them a goal, give them something to do in there and then have the battle happen around them. And then if you're doing that, you don't need rules. You're just doing storytelling, you know? You know, kind of the other way if you actually think about it, like um, figuring out mass combat rules in the current D&D actually is kind of coming full circle because for those of you who don't know, D&D, the original edition, actually was derived from a, the rules from Chainmail, which was a mass combat yeah, game. Chainmail. Yeah, where they, I think, I think uh, if I, the article I read that was from uh, Gary Gygax said, I think they sat around wondering, what if we control just one of these guys? Right. And I think that's where it, the whole idea stemmed from. So right. So that is, that's interesting. Yeah. So that is it for our main topic, mass combat-ish. D and D miniatures game. <laughs> Before we move on to our unearthed tips and tricks uh, segment, we just like to take a minute to thank Lorsmith. Thanks to Lorsmith, uh, all of Crit Nation has a chance to win another wonderful prize each and every week. Each episode, we draw another lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the best-selling adventure, The Claws of Madness. Madness. Claws of Madness. <laughs> Lawsmith is a small indie team of creative artists who remember exploring the realms together with friends, finding incredible places, and meeting colorful characters along the way. They set out to deliver an experience that sparks those lasting impressions that push them to create their first standalone adventure, The Claws of Madness. This best spelling adventure is one you don't want to miss. I just said best spelling. It's not a spelling adventure. <laughs> it's a selling adventure. Speaking of spelling, Lawsmith is spelt with a Y, which is why I haven't been able to Google it every time I listen to your podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, guys, you should totally go to their page and you should totally click the link or whatever, or you could Google it with a Y. <laughs> uh, anyway. Also, today's winner has an awesome name. That's amazing. I'm just picturing it. Like, it gives me visuals. And this week's winner is... <laughs> Turtle Sprint. Turtle Sprint comes Look at those little legs go. And it hurts inside. You gotta take 
and congratulations, Turtle Sprint. Turtle, turtle. Turtle Sprint. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> if you enjoy the adventure, please head on over to uh, drivethroughrpg.com and leave them a review. Our first unearthed tips and trick is our character concept, the nervous tick. Um, I just watched South Park and Twitch was awesome. I think it's Twitch. It's Twitch. Tweak. Tweak. Yes, Tweak. Thank you. I don't even know. <laughs> oh, tweak, and I just—I love the idea of having a character. Just, all right, guys, we're gonna—we're gonna attack him. You got it. And I think this is something that's funner if you do it as a player as well. Like you—you—you you, you, mm. you twitch your neck when you're talking. Wow! Wow! Why? Who's asking? Especially if you have like a condition, like if it's like if you are lying and you get the nervous tweak, or you like you know you're about to go into combat and you get that, I'm gonna kill you. I love I love I love that idea where you've got a um the tick is a trigger to something whether it be lying or um whether when you're when if you're you're paranoid or you're scared or in the tick kind of gives that tell away um I think it'd be really great for a like a rogue or a high bluff character to have a tick yeah. when they lie <laughs> like um your master called for me <laughs> he's gonna he 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 wants you to let me in. I promise. <laughs> I don't know that I'd be able to play through a game like that with the guy, like, tweaking out the whole time. Uh, I'd be cracking up the whole time. Yeah, let me see, like, the eyebrow tick. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, the I actually get one. I get, I get an eyebrow twitch. Yeah. Do you? <laughs> I can't see. I have a friend who, um, he, he sort of stutters, but then um, to get out of it, he learned he had to sing. So, like, he'll be, like, in a serious situation, and it'll be, like, sort of almost singing in his voice. Okay. And um, <laughs> uh, as as he does it, so imagine that as a bluff. You just I, sing everything like you're in a Disney film. I don't know how much of it. I, so I edit so much stuff out. I don't remember what's left in and what's out until I listen to it again. But mm-hmm. um, Ryan used to have a lisp, a very powerful lisp. And one night, <laughs> yeah. And one night he ran uh, uh, an adventure with us, and he was the DM. And the main character he was controlling had a lisp. Right, he, had a, he had a bad lift, and he's like, he came back to recording the next week. He's like, dude, after that character, I, cu- I couldn't stop. I couldn't get rid of the list for like a day, dude. You have no oh, idea no. how bad it was. <laughs> he was like freaking out. He's like, dude, I was like, I was back to my childhood all over again. <laughs> so having having a wagon, <laughs> giving your character, you know, uh, a nervous tick or making them like, uh, you know, easily, you know, startled or paranoid or something like that can make for interesting character development. Maybe you can make oh, like a books. will save to not do it as well. Like, <laughs> oh, there you go. So if you let's say let's go back to the the, the bluffer, right? And he 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 twitches when he lies. Maybe you give him a will save to chance to not twitch or make him roll at disadvantage. See now that I think. For something like that, the character would really have to be okay with that. Right. Because now you're pulling into it. But that might be something they're into. One thing I've learned in all my time at D&D, which is not nearly as long as you, um, is that <laughs> some of the best characters are the ones with major flaws. And I make my players use an array. Like, I actually make them have, like, a 8, 9, a 10, 11, and then, like, a 16 or something like that. Because you need that downside. Because yep. if you're perfect, then who cares, you know? Yeah, I don't like the like Mary that. Sue's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the but can I just say, like... You guys do these character concepts all the time. If, as a GM, if you come to me as a player and say, I have this concept, I'm definitely going to say yes, right? Like, that's absolutely... And I'm probably going to reward you, like we were talking about, you know, whether it gets cut out or not, like, right. like we were talking about, you know, they'll get some rewards for it. So if you're a player listening to this, talk to your GM. Make a character with a cool character concept. Yeah, and, and, that, and a nervous tick is a great one. 
you know, we even say sometimes this might require some permission from your DM because there's some things that we've come out with that we just think are hilarious. We got to talk about this, but it might not necessarily be something that's normally acceptable. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah. it should be. <laughs> but I'm pretty, I'm pretty loose on that stuff though, because I want the game to be fun and whatever it takes to be fun for you. You know? Exactly. All right. Today's monster variant is the Count of Monte Cristo, and the origin is mm. noble. Go figure. <laughs> Are you assuming that it's super easy to know what the origin is just because of the name? I may have watched the movie. Oh, it's so awesome. Have you seen it? <laughs> uh, so he, he has like a nervous tick where he counts numbers, right? And then laughs. One! Some of the features of the, this uh, noble variant, the Count of Monte Cristo, is unguard. While wielding a rapier, other creatures provoke an opportunity attack from when they enter your reach. And you also have, as a fun feature, the lunging attack. When the Count makes a melee attack with on guard, it can increase its reach by 5 feet. And last but not least, HALT! When you hit a creature with an opportunity attack, that creature's speed becomes zero for the rest of its turn. Okay, so one thing, I don't know if you've kind of put it together, but I love to give my NPCs features that the players have. Can anybody yeah, tell yeah. me what build this is? Yeah. Yep, the um, polearm build. It is. It's exactly that. It's the polearm master Oh, really? Build. Wow. Yeah. Because my players love to just stop my NPCs in their tracks, why not have an NPC that can do the same thing? This character is inspired by uh, the Count of Monte Cristo, and, you know, when, they, when, they, when they're sword playing, there's a lot of lunging, which extends their reach far beyond what we normally think of inside of, like, uh, their five-foot square in, like, D&D terms, right? Right. Um... And then I thought, well, what if I gave him something similar to the polearm feature where his lunge is representative of him trying to stop his opponent in their track and then recoiling back and keeping that distance. So basically it allows them to thrust when somebody enters in their threatening area of 10 feet and it stops them out of range. Parry, parry, thrust, thrust, good! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the out of range thing, that's good. Um, so it, no. I didn't realize, yeah, because that would because when you're lunging, you, yeah, you're putting that box between you. That's a really tactical. That's very cool. Yeah. I so, dig it. Yeah, it's it. Then that was the whole the whole point is now he can only do it once because it consumes a reaction to do that. But that can be a very surprise to the players. How's that war fighter gonna mm. feel when he rushes in with his great sword and the guy quickly boom pokes him in the chest and he's forced to stop <laughs> or be impaled the rest of the way, right? So, like I said before, you know, like uh positioning and and stuff like that uh, there was like in the fourth head there was the sneaky road build where you could like position them where you wanted like that's so important to um you know these combats so this is a really really cool little uh addition yeah. i like it i'm gonna steal it yeah well you should <laughs> and that's the whole point for these things that's what it's for yeah, yeah. yeah and i always look for feedback so if you do use any of concepts um please send me an email because i'd like to share some of that stuff with other people who have used them and had good success with them because most of these things i've used in one shape or form I have not used this one as the Count of Monte Cristo. Um, I have used it as a regular NPC with the polearm feet. But I, I, was it you guys who a while back did the like poisonous uh, mold thing? Yes. And it affects like, the bush. Yeah, yeah. I used that one. That one's uh, that one, That one's very cool. Oh, you like that? Because my plays, they're poisoned. They don't know it yet. <laughs> so they're going to get hit by that in the next session. Yeah, there was an email I got from a listener about the cackling zombie, too. Uh, they, they're like, <laughs> you know, they love the cackling zombie because they fought him, but they didn't get infected till like, hours later. And then it started, it spread throughout the entire town. The entire town became infected with this cackling thing. Um, it was, cool. He said it was pretty great. It was a long email, so I'm not going to get into it. But I hope sure. that they're unique and people want to use them. That is our monster variant of the podcast, the Count of Monte Cristo. 
So our encounter of the podcast is the Call of Lightning. Basically, the entire combat takes place during a magical thunderstorm. Um, either a How conjured, badass is that? Either, <laughs> either a conjured one or non-conjured. I don't want it to be confused with the spell Call Lightning um, because that has limited actions per round. Very different. It's mm. very different. Um, but the, it is inspired by that concept. Um, so, Are you sure it's not inspired by the Thunder Planes from Final Fantasy X? Um, it is inspired <laughs> by the Thunder Planes from Final Fantasy X. You know, I just got the Steam one. Caught you. <laughs> yeah, you're a bastard. Oh, if anybody listens to the show, they know I love Final Fantasy, all right? Um, but yeah, I was actually getting pissed off door where we have to dodge lightning 200 times. Uh, I gave up. I'm like, fuck it. I make it to like 30. and. <laughs> I know, right? Anyways. Um, That's crazy. <laughs> so uh, at the end... Uh, at the end of every character's turn, they make a dexterity saving throw to avoid being struck by lightning. The idea is that lightning is crashing all around you during combat. It's just striking in random locations. So a creature that moves more than 30 feet on their turn has advantage uh, on the saving throw. And a creature that doesn't move during their turn has disadvantage on the saving throw. The idea that... You know what I love about this? You know what I love? What? Sorry to interrupt. No, you go. Know what I love? Is, uh, I'm just picturing how lightning would affect real world combatants wearing metal plate armor <laughs> just calling it to you <laughs> you know yeah oh again yeah, take that paladin <laughs> i just know i feel like my uh, storm sorcerer would enjoy this a lot oh well actually and I- i'll touch on that in a second i'm glad you brought that up all right. um the idea is that with lightning striking all around you there should be motivation to try to a not get struck <laughs> right? Really? Um, and, and B, try <laughs> to maneuver it so you cannot be struck, whether taking cover under something or, you know... Um, just, just go to where the lightning just struck, because lightning doesn't strike twice, right? Right, right. So if you're going to stand in one spot, stand in the one spot that it already struck. Um, I like to force movement, because not... Um, a lot of games, mm-hmm. not so much mine anymore, because my, my group's really good about being very engaged, but... Um, a lot of groups get to where they just get stagnant on their movement, where they just run up yep. and hit, and that they, that's all they do. They don't they don't force movement. I stand still and shoot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's basically it. So A, by them standing still, they know they're more likely to be struck by lightning, so it forces them to change positions. But also, when they're engaged with somebody and they haven't used 30 feet of movement, do they risk getting struck by lightning by not getting the advantage, mm-hmm. or do they take the op attack and hope they don't get struck by lightning and hit by the op attack. Um, oh, that would be... that's You're a nasty GM. <laughs> oh, you have no idea. I'm actually pretty delicate. Like a flower. <laughs> I am a delicate flower! <laughs> but, you know, in player... We've talked about players not being dicks by, you know, using the terrain and trying to hide behind things. And, you know, this is no different. This is just an encounter that can kind of force that movement. I hide mm. behind a gnome. You hide behind a gnome? <laughs> I no, I'm s- on a stick. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you, uh, damn it, I forgot. What did, you just mentioned something I want to get back to. Storm sorcerers. Um, storm sorcerers. So, one thing that I thought was really cool with Call Lightning is that if you do it in a storm area, not creating it, it increases the damage. Nice. As a DM, if somebody decided they wanted to try to use lightning spells during this, I would, oh. I would enhance those yeah. spells. Uh, thunder as well. Thunder and lightning. I'd enhance both of them. Not by a whole lot, but enough to, to show that the environment will impact what your characters do. So druids can have a lot of fun here. Yes. I don't think that uh, it's called out specifically in Call of Lightning that you get an increase in the die size. I think the, 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 the environment should also affect magic 
in the effectiveness of certain things. Now, I do that on my yeah. own whim. Um, if you're casting water spells in a in a in a in a freaking uh, hurricane, I'm going to give you a slight boost in some of those things. That's just me. I don't know how you handle that, if at all, or you. Yeah, no, all, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, I was gonna say like, yeah, the, the op sort of the the only reason like I do that, but the downside is usually if they're fighting something in that region, then it's probably like you know a lava creature is immune to fire, or whatever. But you still get bonuses to your fire damage, guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I I can see that I can see that. Um, Although but, I've definitely yeah. played some. Or heard of some games anyway where the environment can make some spells backfire, such as the idiot that cast an earthquake when there are five stories underground. Oh shit! <laughs> Oops. Those those are the things that I really like to to play with. Or there was one time too where I only heard about this session, but there was one time where they were in a dungeon and the DM made very clear multiple times that they smell gas. Oh, firebolt. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kaboom. <laughs> Uh, that wow. get, that gets into another thing where they don't uh, combining real life physics with the game. I think we're gonna do an episode on that. I think that would be a fun uh, mm. discussion about yeah. people bringing in lightning affecting and being drawn to metal physics, right? That um, metal, yeah. Um, so I think we should have an episode on that. That'd be fun. We All should right. have us on that. Um, any other uh, any other takes or any in things you guys would like to add to the call of lightning? I, I reckon if you're traveling through like with a with a i'm thinking how it would affect a vehicle as well like so if you if you're just walking then that's one thing but if you're like traveling on say an airship or something and you're in a thunderstorm like maybe it's gonna take out an engine or something that's gonna create some serious serious problems terrain wise as well because that's gonna create fire smoke things like that and that's a whole other drama yeah absolutely we uh, actually just had an episode uh that i talked about one of the uh combats i ran that where i gave my players part of an airship encounter and it was a beautiful day but i really wish i would have made it thunderous and lightning because that would have been cooler um, yeah that's one thing we taught we hanging out on top with your metal armor that's just <laughs> calling for trouble <laughs> what could go wrong yeah. <laughs> i always i always have this envision you know you ever watch he-man where he sticks his thing and he calls up i, I middle, have a power in the middle of a thunderstorm i just wish a lightning bolt would strike him instead of his power <laughs> <laughs> um so that is our encounter of the podcast, Call of Lightning. Now for our magic item of the podcast, of the podcast, socketed gems. So they're not really socketed, but using gems. So this is actually, I'm bringing this tip to the table. Yeah. This is my tip. Yeah, just the tip. All right. So this is my tip here, gems <laughs> and crystals. So um, I, a long time ago, I was like hanging out and uh, you know, in, in these stupid you know, witchcrafty type shops and they have these all these gems and they do these magical things so often i give all the uh you know my players some gems whatever you know and uh but do they matter no one cares about gems right they're just money trade them in for gold yep uh but i started making them have special magical powers like they you know allegedly do in the real world so um there's like a whole table which is randomly generated which do, can people get access to the show notes how do they get um, a hold of this yeah i will make sure it's in the show notes uh you can usually find it at our patreon.com slash crit academy i am in the process of making it available on our website again i don't know if you noticed but we had a big kaboom with like episodes 1 through 17 show notes but uh -oh. um so i'm going back and uh -oh. remaking them but they can find this these show notes on patreon.com slash crit academy okay cool and there's also uh some of these are also on the gm stash where i do yep. there's like a whole album you go there um, so that that's on facebook I'll share that link when stash. I made this up when I share this episode. Yeah, yeah, cool. So go check them out at the stash or on Patreon. Give to Patreon. 
contribute and then get involved. Well, actually, <laughs> but basically, the idea is you can activate them, right? So uh, in, in combat, whenever um, you just you know roll to activate them or, or make them activate uh, sort of like a magic ring or something like that, and then they do different things. So maybe it gives you like, uh, for instance, an A gate will give you like plus five defense to the next attack that you receive, or maybe like the more expensive ones, things like uh, you know diamonds, you know cure serious wounds as as if it were a scroll or something like that. But then these gems, so that then like it's a one use item. You burn off the use, and then uh, later on. Uh, if you maybe you're a druid or a spellcaster or something, you can make a spellcraft check to cleanse them in the moonlight of a full moon. So it's basically a once per month magic item that you know you can give a treasure, and they might not even realize that they've got such a powerful thing, uh, you know, hanging out in their pocket. Yeah, that's very cool. So man. that's yeah. There's a big table. There's all sorts of things like cure, cure wounds, sense motives, all that stuff. And I actually, when I made this table, I actually uh, took the time to work out what each gem is meant to do in the real world and like. Translated across the game because because so. uh, witchcraft is real, right? Oh, of course. No. In <laughs> Australia, mate, you need it to fight the monsters that, that live here. Right? The cave spiders. <laughs> the you cave mean spiders the uh, natural wildlife. Bees. Yeah. Um. Yeah. There's some dangerous shit there. Um. I actually am a big fan of this because, um. First of all, I play Final Fantasy VII and I love socketing and mixing and matching stuff. I love Path of Exile. You know, I know you didn't mention socketing, but that's what that's what comes to yeah, my yeah. mind when I when I see this. Where I. I can take a normal weapon and get a gem and forged into it, and now it becomes, for all intents and purposes, a magic weapon. Because um, yeah. it's less likely somebody's going to be able to steal my entire sword than steal a gem from my pocket, you know, if I get pickpocketed or something. But Actually, I recall from 3.5 where if you looked in the, I forget what it's called, but it was essentially it was like the equipment manual, the magic item, whatever. But there actually were some gems you actually could socket inside uh, your, your weapons to give them boost. I'm like, why does no one use these? <laughs> because yeah. all of them were so good for the price. Right. But I guess, well, let's face it, there's so many books on 3.5 that I can see how people could easily right. miss material. I really... I have seen it, yeah. <laughs> uh, now, obviously, this list is specifically for, like, uh, Pathfinder or 3.5, it looks like. Um, looking at some of these spells, like Cure Serious Wounds is yeah, like a 5e thing. Yeah, that's butter. But, but, that, but, that's, <laughs> but that's okay. You know, you can easily fix these into the 5e stuff. What's really interesting is the stuff that's just not outright spells. Like, I love mm. the Sapphire. Replenish one spell slot for each level of the spell you can cast. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, like mana. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, I also cool. have had a lot of success with... Um, where is it? It's... Uh, the uh, turquoise understand all languages for the next ten minutes. Oh, that's pretty. That's baller. a really good one for you know bluff character or something like that. That is really really malachite. Cool. How often do you get malachite? I get malachite all the time as a player. Oh, uh, yeah? According to this table, force an opponent to reroll an attack or spell. See, Bam. that's really cool. Powerful. I like that. Now, actually, I uh, I love the divi- in, in fifth edition. They've got the divination wizard. You roll divination dice, right? You roll two d twenty, and you can change any roll in the game at any time with either one of those numbers. So oh, awesome. if it's a four and you storm in with your mighty ogre and his great maul as he crushes Ian in the jugular and you can hear his neck snap. Um, I'm going to change that crit to a three. Thank you. <laughs> I foreseen this call coming and I have forewarned him, you know. Um, Ian, duck. <laughs> duck. Uh, I, very, I very much like that. And then, of course, this, most, this really expensive one, this ja- Jacinth, negates the next yeah. attack made against you. Yeah. That's cool. That's a free. Oh shit! Yep. That's it. <laughs> so, it's my lucky rock. So this Don't is touch my lucky rock. <laughs> <laughs> this 
this is a really cool idea, and we can really tell you put a lot of work into it. It's a shame that it's in 3.5 format, but, you know, we can rectify that. <laughs> <laughs> They're conversions. Sorry, guys. Uh, but it's very cool. I, I definitely recommend it. Uh, you can look in the show notes or uh, at the in the Facebook page when we, we share this, and I'll make sure this is linked in there. So, like I said, this is really great stuff, and, and anybody can reword these to fit how they want. So... I really like this, and I want to thank you for bringing it and sharing it with us. Yar. No, that's okay. Thanks for having me yeah. well, <laughs> to share it with. Yeah, no problem. It's a pleasure. That's our magic item, socketed gems or gems and crystals. Bring bring the gems, bring the magic to your D&D table with socketed gems. <laughs> I thought you said they weren't socketed. <laughs> they are not. They can be socketed. No, no, they can. Like, like I said, you know, later on, please work out, hang on a second, what? And I just attach this to my armor. I'm like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, all right, so our dungeon mat. Speaking of fancy items, dungeon master tip of the podcast mm-hmm. Make powerful items a liability. Has anybody done this yet? Is that a jacinth on your on your thing? Yeah, I do that all the time. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's 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 a it's a great way to make them realize just how powerful they are and just how much wealth they're carrying with them. Uh, you know, we all hear this the the stories of DMs you know accidentally giving their players a too powerful item so it gets stolen. Well, you don't have to steal it. Have them attempt to steal it. Have them get robbed. Have them get mugged, you know. Um, have somebody come and make an offer, maybe. Hey, you know what? Mm-hmm. I really like that sword of yours. Um, actually, I hear the lore behind it is such and such, and I would really like to buy it from you. That's a really oh, nice man, sword you have on you. Oh, sorry. Be a shame if uh, <laughs> someone tried to steal it. <laughs> it would be a shame, wouldn't it? <laughs> I just got a really awesome idea for a bad guy, like you know, a collector who like hunts down magic items, and he knows all the law, and he like he sees it, he's like, "Ooh, that was forged by this guy." I'm like that's a really cool idea, you know. You I see. Grab just got the pencil. A creepy collector, like an Unbreakable, you know, the Sam Samuel Jackson's character, and that that's cool. I dig it. I'm borrowing that. Yeah, it's been, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're welcome to it. <laughs> um, that's a really good. Yeah, I. I I really like uh, concepts like that, and I think that um, if you constantly have people harassing your players about the equipment and stuff that they're carrying, they'll really learn to appreciate what they have, because at least, in, uh, and now, I, I know in the, the edition you play, magic items are fucking like pennies. They're everywhere you don't want them. But in 5th <laughs> edition... Not when I play them, but yeah. <laughs> in, but in 5th edition, they're few and far in between. They've been relatively... Uh, Miserly about them in this edition. Yeah, they, by they default. the whole game is you can play without a single magic item, because they didn't mm. want the they didn't want the game to be about collecting magic items. They wanted it to be about the story, not just. It's like comparing Final Fantasy in the story compared to playing uh, Diablo. Wow, you, you go play Diablo, yeah, Diablo or yeah. Wow uh, for the loot. Basically, <laughs> you go in, you kill a dungeon. What I get? Shit. Start again. Go clear dungeon. Get some shit. Damn. Start again. Um, or, and or in like a fourth edition, they pretty much handed out like I mentioned, like Pez. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. yeah. It's, it's Oprah throwing out magic items. I said, you get an item. You get an item. Everyone gets items. You know, it's in fifth edition. I think this makes more um, sense than maybe like yeah, yeah. Pathfinder or 3.5 because you have magic items everywhere there. But in this one, I usually don't give out a magic, uh, maybe one magic item every three, four, or five levels. So mm. um, it's not super common. I actually prefer evolving weapons, actually, or uh, where they get like story and they unlock more parts of it. But um, what else do you think you could do to... to, to uh, as the weapon bathes in the blood of your enemies, it consumes their essence as it grows in might. <laughs> Yes, very much so. 
one of the things that I've done in the past is um, like often like I get players to describe their magic item, describe what it's like. And often they'll like talk about like, oh, it's got the symbol of my kingdom or it's got my family crest or, um, you know, it's got like the thing of my God. And then I've, I've used that. I flipped that. So like in, in the past, I've had um, guys who've gone undercover into like the orc orc lands and, you know, trying to s- sneak around there and do some business. And uh, what's happened is their items have given them away because they've changed appearance into like some orc through a spell or, or potion or whatever. But uh-huh. the items still have like, oh, you're, you still have like that, that really prominent ram's head carved into your thing which is clearly the kingdom that is at war with these guys like you know you've given yourself away mate is that is that a ram's head on your sword there yeah and i think i think we talked about something similar in one episode in the past where when characters mention you know something unique about them take it as a truth and yeah, go I forward with too. it that i think awesome i too. think we did talk about something like that so that's a that's really cool i like that um another thing is when your characters start to get a high enough level they they, they can't carry everything with them right i personally don't let them carry all entire trunks of gold with them um so they, they mm. got to have a home or a base of operations um and having that place uh be broken into while they're gone i think you need to be careful doing that but as long as all the items that are super valuable that they're using are with them and some stuff starts disappearing at their base i think that that could lead to uh, a nice uh, mystery style campaign where all right our shit's gone where did it go and maybe they don't notice it right away maybe you just take away a certain percentage of valuables every time they break in they keep coming back <laughs> i blame the rogue you blame the rogue it's always somebody one of his <laughs> friends right they give him a key hey he, well they wouldn't need to give him a key they just pick the lock but um i do think that uh just because i steal stuff does that mean i stole your stuff yeah mm-hmm. i mean characters become wealthy and sometimes they need to mm-hmm. be reminded how wealthy they are and That's it. robbing uh, lifestyles uh, of the rich and famous i know right <laughs> yeah you need to got a uh, kim kardashian that shit with a ten thousand dollar necklace just poof gone yeah <laughs> um there you go <laughs> I like I like this. This is a good tip, and um, I, I I think like you were saying that you have to be careful. Like, if a player is attached to an item, maybe don't take it away from them. But I, I would agree. Uh, you know, yeah. But but the, threaten to take it away yeah. by all means. Yeah, and and even give them warnings. Like um, I've had weapons stolen from my players before, and mostly it's because I had a couple good checks and they had some poor checks and shit just disappears. But there's always a chance that the person stealing it will be caught. There's always a chance that they they can always get the items back. What it takes to get them back, though, is some of the issues I've ran into. Um, like, uh, one issue was the item that they claimed was an heirloom to a family of a son who went off to fight some monster and died in the process. And they found oh, wow. that item. So when the family came to buy the item back, he wouldn't sell it. So they hired another group syndicate to steal it. He wakes up with a horse head in his bed. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when they stole it, he finally tracked him down and found out well and told him the story about how his son had died fighting this blah 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 monster and he gave his life for it and that property belongs to us so now the character was actually torn he found it but was ever his to begin with you know what i mean so um, i like what you're doing with the like taking the law side of an item and like boosting like the players don't know they're just like oh it gives me plus five to attack i don't care you know right and then you're like oh here you go you know it's this this is actually i care about this as an npc because it's tied to my family heritage it's you know i'm a collector of these things and then yeah they they don't care about it they just want the bonus so (laughs) it's a good moral uh dilemma for players to be so and i think you can do a lot with that when you they find these really good items so that is our dungeon master tip of the podcast don't be a dick no um, don't Oh. <laughs> <laughs> make, make powerful items a liability. Uh, you guys are funny. 
Our <laughs> player tip of the podcast is... Don't be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and you can avoid dickitude by... Don't talk when your DM don't is talk talking. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> How can you avoid dickitude? Uh, by not trying to talk while your DM or podcast host is talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I guess my team is trained pretty, has been trained pretty well in the past because this was never really an issue right. for me. As soon as I started playing online again, it became a huge issue. Um, mm. Now, I've got, I, I run three groups uh, online, and I got one group that just doesn't stop talking. <laughs> And I'm like, all right, guys, we gotta we gotta focus, and we have to get everything. It's rude. It's distracting. Um, don't don't try to talk over each other, no matter whether you're bickering or disagreement or whatever it is. Um, and it's it's worse online too because yes. there is you know there like the it impacts what you can actually hear at a table at least. But there's distance and sound works differently. But online, the microphone just picks up everything. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty annoying. And as we are experiencing, time lag too does not help sometimes. Yeah, and and when it does mm. happen at even the tables, like when I was at uh, the Adventures League, it, there's a lot of chit chat that that goes on, and there's usually nothing wrong at that. But when the DM is giving a narration, make sure you stop because a whatever you're talking about. Nobody gives a shit. Everyone should be caring what the DM is saying because we already don't want to repeat ourselves a dozen times. Right. Which I do all the time just because of my brain not working properly. But what? Yeah, that. So yeah. I do got to do sometimes because sometimes my brain doesn't work properly. What? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's distracting. And try to just be respectful when your DM is talking. Um, and not to say you can't chit-chat a little bit, but once the narration starts, you really should have all your attention and on them. And let's face it, you don't want mm -hmm. to miss out on, on important information. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's one thing that really drives me mental as a GM is like, uh, you know, if if you honestly didn't hear something or if I've said something and you haven't paid attention to it because you were like, you know, you just were paying attention to another part. That's one thing. But if you ask me to repeat something because you wouldn't shut the fuck up, like, <laughs> that really gives me the shit. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Pepto-Bismol is the one. Mm. Helps with that. <laughs> or, the shit's annoying. <laughs> or for that matter, just somebody not paying yeah. attention to what the GM says in the first place is always annoying. Yeah. I know I used this example mm. before, but I remember a friend of mine, He, his players, they hired a ship to take him to a port, and he made it very clear multiple <laughs> times that the captain was wearing a red j jacket. <laughs> yeah. And they went off on their adventure, and they came back to the town like, we got made by pirates, and they're led by a man wearing a red jacket. And they went back to their ship. <laughs> So, uh, Captain, we're told this town was invaded by a band of pirates wearing a, um, they had, they had a red jacket. Know anyone that fits that description? <laughs> That's when you need to have, uh, Smith, uh, Smythe come up and say, uh, sir, it's time for your red jacket washing. <laughs> to make it obvious. <laughs> the Captain? Licks out, down. Nope. Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> this is clearly not red. This is clearly salmon. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Have you not heard of Crimson guys? <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it was um, way when, when I got this jacket, but then I killed my enemies. <laughs> <laughs> this jacket is not red; it is soaked with the blood of my enemies. Uh, all right, so that is it reminds me of uh, Black Books. You know, the one there's one episode where like one of the dude's family washes the guy's clothes. He always wears black, and then when I wash it, he comes out. He's wearing a like his white, like bright white. It's just dirty. <laughs> <laughs> that is our player tip of the podcast. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any feedback, unearthed tips and tricks, or topics you'd like us to discuss, uh, please send them to us. 
how can they send them to us, Ian? Why they can always uh, email us at uh, CritAcademy at gmail.com or they can always find us on Twitter and Facebook at CritAcademy. Yeah, that's, um, that's an ad or you can go to the website as I discovered <laughs> www.critacademy.com and sign up for the stupid email thing so you can get the fat loot when they draw it. <laughs> I have the argument for that. He beat, he beat me to it because I was going to add that in there even though it's not there. Um, well, we hope you enjoyed your experience here at Crit Academy. If you did, you can help others find your show by leaving a hopefully five star review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Plus, whatever your podcast. Service. Think service of choice is because we're on almost all of them at this point. You know, just make sure to give us a like and share. Head on over to our patreon.com slash Critacademy. Uh, sign up. You get lots of cool stuff. Like you can watch this feed live and interact oh, wow. with us. Um, we'll be recording yeah. live on Sunday. So for $3 a month, you can watch us live and actually interact with us. Kind of like he's doing without the chatting. That's, po- yeah, that's the cheapest chem girl show in the, in the business. <laughs> $3 a month. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> we apologize in the band. get all the stuff. Cut out. <laughs> uh, well, I think the big thing is, is half this shit gets cut out, so they actually get to watch and interact and see how much we do fuck off. Usually we're done out about yeah. two hours, so this isn't too terrible. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, make sure to subscribe to our show at CritAcademy.com. It's right there, so I know I say it. Yeah, but here's the thing, right? So yeah, I know you say it, and it's right there, but I thought like it, it's tied in with the Patreon thing, so I'm like, ooh, I have to submit money to no, be in the so draw. No, so here's the thing. Patreon, you One can... tip, folks. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that shows up on our Patreon that's free. You just go there, and you can access it. Some of it's hidden behind the wall, but there's the show notes are available to you for free. Um, a lot of the uh, monster variants are available to you for free. The Patreons get to join us live. They get to do games with us, and they get access to a lot of that stuff early. So that's really the, the big advantage is, is what you're getting right now. The experience you're getting is what they would pay for, basically. Give us uh, money. It's and not worth cool it. Stuff. <laughs> it's not worth it. Yeah, well, that's okay. You're an Aussie. We don't want you watching anyway. No, guys. It's totally worth it. If everyone of our 15,000 listeners send us a dollar. <laughs> I don't even need a dollar. Just send me like a half a dollar because those coins are cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, uh, damn, where was I at? Oh, uh, <laughs> make, sure to, make sure to subscribe to our show at CritAcademy.com. Check out our Patreon at Patreon.com. Uh, you can help others, you know, it'll allow us to help you on our future adventures. And as well as you'll have a cool chance to win prizes each and every week. Uh, you will also find links to our fellowship members there. I am your host, Justin. I am Ajayd. And I'm Ian. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. Okay, so can I just give a shout-out to my beautiful wife who learnt how to game uh, for me. Thank you, Mrs. Ginger Fox. You're the best. Yeah, oh, there you go. What a that's nerd. that's sexy. That'll, that'll get me that's serious. That's so sweet. Thanks, you're gonna, yeah, dude, you're totally going to get the, be able to give her the D. Yeah, <laughs> I'll give her all these, all these awesome tips we've been seeing in this podcast right here. <laughs> also, she plays fifth ed, so she'll, she'll actually be able to use them. There oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right. Hey, our, t- our tips are not necessarily tied to fifth ed. Just want you to know that. And if you think that, Mr. Ginger money. Fox, you get all the tips. Yeah, <laughs> from we'll, this podcast. we'll all give you our tips. <laughs> I kid, I kid. <laughs> Anyone who does a doggy style school of me. <laughs>